0: You're listening to The Butterfly Effect Podcast, episode number 18. Today I'm sitting down with Meredith Root, co-founder of Tactic Nutrition. Today we're talking all things nutrition-related in a very open and no-pull-punches manner, so this is definitely the one you're not going to want to miss. If you enjoy this episode, all I ask is that you screenshot it and share it on your social media story or feed to show your love. If you have a second to subscribe and leave a review on iTunes or SoundCloud, the show can continue to grow and expand its listeners. Taking the time to share it with your followers and subscribers will totally help keep it thriving so I can continue to bring you quality episodes like the one you listened to today. This is the Butterfly Effect Podcast, and I'm Ashlyn Newlove, tackling everything from fitness, nutrition, business, life, ice cream cones, and everything else in between to help inspire people to make one change that causes their ripple effect. Welcome to episode number 18. So for those of you who don't know me, I'm a fitness and nutrition coach helping people have fun, keep fit, and reach their goals while they're at it with my online program, The Sweat Effect. I've been following Meredith and her frank approach to nutrition for quite some time now. I've always loved her open honesty about it, and we share a lot of the same views, so it's hard not to laugh when she calls out all of the morons on social media for their comments and misleading information they post regarding nutrition. I'm excited to have her on so we can debunk all of these diet myths and speak frankly about a topic we share such a passion about. So welcome to the show. Thanks. Yeah. Glad to be here. Okay. So you're not just a nutrition coach, but you've also proved your fitness as well by competing at the CrossFit Games. But how do you get to this point? How do you end up running a successful nutrition company? And tell me a little bit about your background.
1: Um. Yeah. So I think nutrition's always been kind of an interesting and in, like important topic for me um, personally, because like I dabbled in some different sports before I got into CrossFit or I got into CrossFit and then started dabbling in different sports. So specifically, um, Olympic weightlifting, where I competed um, for about two years there at the national level in the US. And that was kind of where I learned how important uh, nutrition can be to like performance and cutting weight and just kind of how that works. And so it that was kind of my foot in the door with, uh, nutrition. Um, once I made the switch back to CrossFit, which was in, uh, 2014, I, um, needed to put on some size because I was competing in the 53 kilo weight class which was like 115 pounds. So I was a little bit, I was a lot too small to be competitive in CrossFit. Um, but I didn't just want to start eating and put on a bunch of useless weight. So, um, that was, I started sort of tinkering with my own nutrition at that point. And, um, that was like, like working with macronutrients before macronutrients was really like the thing. I think paleo was still really popular in 2014. Um, so <laughs> that's something we're going to talk about yeah, later. <laughs> I'm super glad. Um, I did paleo too for a while, but yeah. I think everybody, if you started CrossFit in 2012, like you definitely did paleo. Yeah,
0: you did for sure. <laughs> yeah. And you're
1: like, no, I can eat these brownies They're paleo. <laughs> okay. Uh, um, so I was able to put on some really good size, like fairly quickly. I went from around 120 pounds to around like just under 130, And it was all like mostly lean body mass. And I wasn't getting my body fat measured. I was just, you know, pictures and making sure that, I, you know, I look the way that I want. And it was, I was performing the way I wanted. So, um, after that, I started helping some people in the gym, um, that I was at in North Carolina, make some changes, um, and work with them one-on-one nutrition. So I was like, You know, I first started dabbling in nutrition, I guess, in 2015, working with other people. Um, At that time, I was still working full time. So I'm a biological engineer and I worked in that field for six years. So I was working for a biopharmaceutical company at the time um, in cell culture development, which is essentially um, like... The company made biologic products. You um, engineer cells to make the proteins and then you harvest them and make drugs. So it's pretty cool. Yeah. The science is neat. Um, But my day job really was like worrying about the nutrition of these like cells and making sure that they're fed what they need to do their jobs. And so like there's actually a lot of crossover in like um, in cell culture and cellular metabolism and human metabolism. So the like the science behind nutrition like, comes super easy to me because I did it for so long, just not on humans. Mm-hmm. Um, so I guess that's kind of, like, that's my background scientifically. Um, I quit that job in 2016 to focus a little more on my training and do CrossFit full-time, well, like, full-time I don't think anyone really does CrossFit full time. I think people say that, but they don't know what it means. Yeah. I'm like, you're hanging out in a gym for eight hours a day and that's doing CrossFit full time. Yeah. Um, I was doing some coaching and managing a gym at that time too. Started taking more nutrition clients on. Um, Yeah. And then had some good years competing, qualified for the games last year in 2018. Um, started working for a nutrition, another nutrition coaching company uh, in 2017. Worked for that for them for like a year and a half. And then after the games were over in 2018 kind of just to started to, to decided to start my own thing. Um cuz I was bringing in a lot of my own clients, Alex was bringing in a lot of her own clients. We kind of have our own like brand on social media. Mm-hmm. So it was actually like Mike Fitzgerald who recommended that you know you guys are not really gaining a lot by being a part of this uh this other company. Um but they're gaining a lot by you being there, which mm-hmm. is true. Um and I have like Nothing against the other company. I learned a lot working, uh, working for that company and working under my mentor. But mm-hmm. it was definitely time to like step out and do our own thing. And it's been so. We started tactic in September of 2018, and it's it's been hugely successful for us this first year. So
0: that's awesome. Mm-hmm. Okay, so basically what we're going to talk about is just like lots of things that I've seen out in social media and yeah. whatnot this basically the past year. And, uh, yeah, just getting your opinion on everything, which I'm excited to hear you talk about. Yeah. Okay. So I'm going to quote an Instagram influencer you might be familiar with. It said, real talk. You want a summer beach body? Want to be jealous? Want people to be jealous of your physique? Eat less food. Do you remember that
1: one? Yeah, I remember that one.
0: (laughs) (laughs) Okay. So what was your response?
1: Um, I think my response on that particular post was, um, uh, not a positive one for her, but it was essentially saying like, that's a, you know, you're speaking to, um, a group of people, particularly females, like CrossFit, uh, has this group of people who are overtraining and under eating specifically. And like, if you're a female, like we see this happen all the time, it causes all kinds of issues, um with adrenals, it's like you plateau with weight loss, maybe you start actually like gaining weight back. Um, So just say like simply saying eat less is a pretty dangerous recommendation coming from someone with like absolutely no, like scientific background or general concern for who their audience actually is. Um, So I think my response was something to that effect and probably included some maybe like scientific details or just like, you know, hey, you should consider you know, this scenario when making this type of re- recommendation, or maybe you just don't make that recommendation on social media.
0: Yeah. Because weight loss isn't always about calorie <laughs> deficits and to make a statement like that, especially when you are somebody with, you know, tens of thousands or hundreds of thousands of followers, I don't even mm-hmm. know how many people follow her, Yeah, but to make a statement like that, and people do see you in this eye as being an expert, you know, if you're good at fitness, they uh, automatically assume, you know, exactly what you're talking about with nutrition as well. Yeah. So to make a statement like that, and I, like you said, women more so than men probably aren't feeding themselves the way they should be in that sense.
1: Yeah, exactly.
0: Okay. I saw a flow chart once and it asked, should I do keto? Do I have epilepsy? (laughs) No, (laughs) then no. Yes. Then yes. Why do you think so many people are jumping on board this train lately and how important are carbs to the sport of CrossFit specifically?
1: Um, Yeah. So the keto conversation is an interesting one. I think uh, it's just all over the media right now. It's a really popular diet. Keto, like the carnivore diet has been popularized by like Mark Bell and Joe Rogan is super into the, the carnivore thing. Um, so I think it's just, it's out there a lot. And anytime, a, like, uh, a, anytime there's a new, like a shiny new object in the nutrition, um, space on like popular media channels, people just get attached to it and they're like, oh, well it must be working, you know, and they'll quote some pseudoscience or, you know, if it works for a population that has epilepsy, you know, it's obviously good and will work for me. It'll make me healthier. Um, so I think there's just a lot of misinformation and people don't really understand how keto works. And if someone's like, you know, I started eating keto and I lost 30 pounds. Um, they they think that it has something to do with the ketogenic diet itself. When really like the mechanism of how keto works for a normal person to lose weight um, has nothing to do with the foods. It's very simply like you're eating less than you were. And the reason that happens with keto or the carnivore diet is like your, uh, it's a it's it's something called like dietary habituation. So you eat like you know the amount of food or different variety of foods that you were eating before was had no bounds. You can eat whatever you want. Um, so you limit that now by a lot. Like maybe you're you're now able to eat five or ten percent of the type of foods that you were eating. You're also eliminating um, processed carbohydrates, um, like basically just junk food, like cafeteria type food. So you're getting rid of those, um, and you're going to become very bored very quickly of the foods that you are allowed to eat, which means that over time you're going to eat less. And so you're creating the calorie deficit, and when you lose weight, um, instead of saying, I lost weight via a calorie deficit caused by dietary habituation from the ketogenic diet, people say, oh, I lost weight because of the ketogenic diet, which um, isn't really correct. That's not how that works.
0: (laughs) And I think it's so sensationalized because people are like, while well, you get to eat bacon and cheese all mm. day long. Like that sounds delicious. Like yeah. I will give up eating carbs if I can eat bacon and cheese every day. Yeah. But then as you said, as you mentioned with, you know, eating paleo brownies, yeah. it turns into <laughs> keto baking. Yeah. And then people are, you're not just eating like also with those foods, right? You, eat, you can only eat so much cheese and bacon and you're full because mm. it's so like the satiety level on it is so high, but you start adding in cheesecake. For instance, I saw a recipe not that long ago for keto cheesecake. They're like, yeah, just 600 calories a slice. And it's like, (laughs) okay, so are you limiting, like, when does that limit stop? So you're eating 600 calories a slice. You're eating your bacon, your cheese. Well, quickly you've consumed three or 4,000 calories. And now that keto diet isn't working anymore. Mm -hmm. So I think that's one of the the concepts that people don't understand about Yeah. But also, that's most people are like, I'm eating keto. You're just eating low carb, too.
1: Yeah, like Adkins has been around forever. Yeah. And it fell out of fashion for a good reason, and now it's back in fashion, and they're just calling it the keto or the carnivore diet. And, and there's so. actually
0: a science behind it, mm-hmm. and I think people don't realize that either, and uh, they're not doing it properly. They're getting adverse health effects from it. Yeah. And then it's just, I don't know, it. it's sh- like you said, it's shiny and new. Mm-hmm. And I get messages from people too, which I'm sure you do as well. And I don't, do you coach anybody?
1: Uh, I've coached like one, one person on the keto diet and he was an epileptic. So um, it was a f- suiting. Yeah, it, it fell. He fell into the category of person that I, I think can respond, like have a positive response and clinical response to the ketogenic diet. And that was still under the guidance of like his doctor and his clinician Mm -hmm. I think is also super important when you're working with someone that has a condition like that. Yeah. Um, but that's it. Like when someone comes to me and they say, well, do you coach keto? I'm like, okay, well like, do you, do you have epilepsy? Are you like on the autism spectrum? Like there's certain like situations where I think it's acceptable. And then, you know, for the rest of the people it's like, well, you know, I can, I can help you eat a higher fat diet. I have no Mm -hmm. problem there. Um, But eliminating, like purposefully eliminating carbohydrates. No, I'm not going to help anyone do that. Yeah. Yeah.
0: That's that's good. And just because people are so, they're like, well, you know, I've tried counting macros before and Mm -hmm. it just doesn't work Mm -hmm. for me. And it's like, well, maybe just the approach to how you were doing it wasn't working. Yeah. And it doesn't mean that cutting carbs isn't. And like, yes, you can be you know, more resistant to carbs and you can eat a lower carb diet, mm-hmm. but it doesn't necessarily have to be keto. And that's the other thing. A keto diet is being in ketosis. And I don't think a lot of people realize that science behind it either.
1: Yeah. A lot. So, um, I have a friend who's in BC and she did, she just experimented with keto, um, which is neat. And, uh, actually I have another friend who here in Calgary, who's on keto, um, which I don't, necessarily agree with her reasonings, but, um, she measures her blood ketones mm-hmm. and glucose level to ensure that she's in ketosis. Because I think what a lot of people are doing with keto now, especially with like the keto cheesecake and, you know, I'm like some, some keto diet prescriptions are, they do the net carbs thing. Mm-hmm. Um, and if you're doing net carbs and if you're doing keto cheesecake, like the likelihood that you're actually in ketosis is, uh, almost zero. Um, so I think there's, again, like that's, it's just a misunderstanding of what, what the ketogenic diet is doing. And so then what you have is like, you just exist in kind of a constant state of, uh, like keto flu Mm -hmm. where you're not like your body's not using blood ketones for like gluconeogenesis, like it's supposed to be doing. It's trying, still trying to use glucose because that's still the preferred energy source. There's just not enough there. Um, so I think like, if you're going to do keto, like do it right and measure blood ketones and make sure you're kind of in the range of where you should be for that. But,
0: and I think you have to, like, if you're starting it too, I think you have to be tracking. I think mm-hmm. you have to know what you're eating mm-hmm. for your, you can't just be like, well, I'll just not eat carbs, but Oh, it's Saturday and I'm at a restaurant. So I'm going to eat some carbs today. Yeah. Like That that's not how it works either. Yeah, exactly. Um, I always say too, like my dad is in his seventies. He ha- He has cancer. So he cuts sugar and stuff out of his diet. Mm-hmm. I was like, you know what? If he wanted to consider doing a more key, like he's lower carb for yeah. sure. If he wanted to do a little bit more towards keto, I do believe he would be a fine candidate. Yeah. For it. Um Anybody else? Like you said, with any like certain, unless they have some sort of certain health, you know, specific things yeah. that they're trying to combat with diet. I'm also a believer that people shouldn't be eliminating things no. either. and how is it enjoyable?
1: Yeah. It's not enjoyable and it's not sustainable. So that's kind of the two, the two big ones for me.
0: Okay. Here's another talking about influencers. There's a lot of people that live in breathe Ben Bergeron. How much worth do you feel people put into his nutrition recommendations compared to what they should?
1: I think they, I think they put a lot of, of worth into that. Um, just because of who he is, who he coaches. He's got a successful podcast. You know, what he says people take really seriously because he's a well-respected, like, male coach in the field. Um, and he's said some some super questionable things in the past about nutrition, but then he's also said some things that are, like, like, blatantly wrong. And so, like, that should be – like, he's getting his facts mixed up, which in my mind, like, brings everything that he says in general, but especially nutrition into question – but like again, he's talking to people who maybe are not educated in nutrition, um, and you know are are willing and open to take everything that he says to heart because they're looking to change their lives. Um, okay, yeah. so if
0: someone was like, "Well, I listen to his podcast and I've listened to him talk," like, what specifically would he have said that
1: wouldn't have been correct? I think he said white bread doesn't contain gluten. I think he said that. Oh, um, <laughs> I was like, okay, so no. That's not, that's not correct. Um, He was um, speaking really poorly of like, like smoothies and like, you know, blended and drinking your calories and stuff like that. And again, like, I think there's a time and a place where that's appropriate. There's a time and a place where it's not appropriate. But my problem with people like him is there's no qualifying language. There's no, you know, okay, for this group of people or this population of people, like maybe this works. You know if your goals are this, maybe try a different approach. There's just there's no qualifying language and he's he's never used it on social media, he doesn't use it in his podcast. Um but really no one uses it on social media anymore. So it's like it's it just social media paints this very black and white picture of nutrition when I'm like you have to realize like people are all over the spectrum and that goes for like competitive athletes too. Like what works for um for me doesn't work for Alex. What works for like um you know, I have guys that are that are differing in carbohydrate intake by like 200 grams a day. So you kind of just have to realize, like, when people ask what my macros are, I'm like, it doesn't, it doesn't matter to you because they're not likely going to be very appropriate for what you're doing.
0: Yeah, uh, it's dependent on body type, age. Height, mm-hmm. Wait, what you used to do in the past, yeah. what you're currently doing, which could change next year, yeah. and I, yeah, a lot of people are always very interested on when they follow somebody, what are they eating and what do I need? So if that's what they're doing, then that's what I need to be doing as well. Mm -hmm. And that is very, very different based on so many factors. I don't even think people realize.
1: Yeah, exactly.
0: Um, okay. And this one kind of relates back to a little bit what we talked about before, but just a recent post that you guys put on your tactic page, if you're starting keto or the whole 30 for the third or fourth time, because it worked the first time, consider the possibility that it didn't actually work. So for people who might not have seen it, what exactly do you want to expand on that? What did you mean by it?
1: Yeah, I, um, that one's actually, that one's funny. Um, my sister actually was doing, uh, my sister's a CrossFit athlete too. She lives in North Carolina. Um, she works for Lululemon and some people were doing Whole30. So she was like, well, I'll do Whole30 with them. Like nothing against her like her reasoning for doing it. She wasn't doing it to like get back on track. Like she's very much on track. Yeah, just being um, a team player. Yeah, exactly. But the people that she was doing it wow. with are using it to like like kickstart or re-kickstart or get back into nutrition. Um, you know, and if you're familiar with the whole thirty, it's just meant to be this kind of lifestyle change and um then you hear about whole thirty challenges all the time and like keto challenges and like CrossFit gyms or on keto challenges and I'm like have you like what are you doing and so like my issue with that is people will say oh well you know I did the whole 30 last year and it worked really well and so I always think like well why are you doing it again if it works so well if it works so well the first time you still be doing it um and that's just it's because it's not sustainable it's not something it's not a, a, a diet that you can just like pick up and be like Kate this is my diet for the rest of my life like it's not going to work um so like, I think my point in that post, like everybody has a diet, you eat, therefore you have a diet. And so your goal with that should be like, if you're interested in, in performance enhancement, if you're interested in like improving your health, like find a way to eat every single day that like, that works and you don't have to, you don't have to start challenges and like drastically change what you're doing to get temporary results.
0: It's a learned habit, right? Mm-hmm. And you need to find something that works for you. Um, but I think people see those because there's an end date to them, right? Yeah. I can push myself for the next month because in a month then I can have whatever I want after yeah. that and I can go back to and I think that's why people, you know, anything that's I don't like the word challenge. I have mine I call it a program. We do a program, but people love to call it a challenge. Mm-hmm. I'm like, well, we don't it's not a challenge. Like we're yeah. not challenging you. We're doing habit based changes to, yeah. you know, create differences that and when people are like, "Well, how these changes, that sounds so boring. It is boring, yeah. but it's like you don't remember the first time you brushed your teeth, and then mm. your mom had to remind you every day to brush your teeth until you now just brush your teeth. yeah, it's it's that. It's in, you know, two years, you're not thinking about what you're doing. You're just doing it because you enjoy it as well, right? And I think that's the biggest thing that people miss with the the nutrition boat and they could, and the other thing is that they confuse a diet and a caloric deficit as the same thing.
1: Correct. Yes.
0: I hear that a lot mm-hmm. about, you know, when you're referring to, yes, everybody eats, and that is their diet. Yes. Okay. What are your thoughts on intermittent fasting? Um, and what type of person, if any, would this be suitable for and why?
1: Um, so intermittent fasting is like, that's another one that's getting popular because it's in the media. Um, so, uh, not like, I don't think it's, it's really appropriate for any type of performance based athlete. Um, which is funny cause there are a few big names out there who've like, who've said that they do intermittent fast, but, um, essentially like it is, it's time restricted eating. So it, like if you, you know, you wake up and you don't eat until noon and then you have to stop eating by um, 8 PM, like that gives you an eight hour window versus maybe, um, like a 14 hour window for eating. Um, the issue that I have with that for most people who are, especially people who are in like performance sports, um, you know, you're tearing your body down every day. Um, one of the best ways, like the two ways that you recover from training are by eating and sleeping. So you're sleeping, which is great. Um, but when you're, when you're sleeping, your body runs out of uh, fuel, which it will, because that's like you—you you don't digest anything for eight hours. Um, it starts to become catabolic, so it just—it starts like, sort of breaking down muscle tissue. Um, your cortisol is going to come up in the morning, which also like that promotes more um, muscle breakdown. And one of the best ways that you can do to stop that process from happening is by eating, uh, specifically carbohydrates, first thing in the morning. Um, so if you don't do that, you're just prolonging that like catabolism and you're prolonging the the period of time where your body is like, it's not recovering. It's not building new tissue. It's literally breaking it down. So I don't really like it for performance-based athletes. Um, it is effective. And again, like, um, it is effective in creating a calorie deficit. If someone does have issues with restricting their intake during the day. So, um, you know, if I have a weight loss client, and I only have one one single person that I recommend intermittent fasting with, and it's because she travels a lot and she likes to eat out. And so if I give her a whole day and she gets to eat out at night, she's going to go over her macros. But if I say, okay, you can't have your first meal until noon and you have to stop eating by 8, she'll stay at least on track with calories when she's out, which is fine if your, mac- if your macronutrients are a little off and don't really care. Um, but it, that has allowed her to stay on track with her weight loss goals while also being able to enjoy, like, traveling and eating out when she's like away on the weekends. Um, so it's effective for that. Again, I don't think it's sustainable. So I don't think it's something that somebody should do like every single day. Um, there's been like the other uh, other population of people that fasting seems to be effective for are, like cancer patients, people that um, were like, like you have this, this process like apoptosis where it's programmed cell death. And we've seen that fasting, it uh, causes, it increases that. And then cancer cells are – because they're fast-growing and they turn over quickly, they're, partic- like, particularly susceptible um, to that. If you take away um, – like, carbohydrates take away food, uh, that happens faster in cancer cells. They've done some studies where, like, radiation after 24 or 48 hours of fast- fasting is more effective than, like, radiation after, ad- like, ad libidine. So, again, that's a super sp- specific group of people. Um, and that type of fasting would be something that's under the supervision of a doctor anyways. Um, so yeah, but for a general population, for people that, that don't need to lose a significant amount of weight or are chasing performance in the gym, like intermittent fasting is just going to sort of cause a little bit of trouble, I think, with longevity for that type of diet and like keeping you on track with performance goals.
0: And I think that the biggest takeaway from like any of these diets <clears throat> that we've talked about so far is the fact that they cause you to eat less, and that is where the progress comes from because people get confused in that area. Yeah, they think, Well, if I'm fasting, that is increasing my weight loss. Well, no, it's just that you're eating less mm-hmm. because you're only eating in a restricted window. It's the same with keto, right? You're eating more high fat foods it's more satisfying. You eat less because you're feeling more full. Right. Yeah. And, uh, you know, same with, right. We talked about paleo, yeah. like CrossFit and paleo. That was the thing to do together. Yeah. Like you said, if you started CrossFit, when did we, 2011, we started 2011. Yeah. Oh, that was like the thing to do. Paleo challenges all the time at the gym. Yeah. But okay. Why do we
1: hear so much less about it now? I think people are starting to catch on that it's not uh, – paleo is not going to get you anywhere if, you're, if you have like CrossFit goals um, just because it's not high enough in carbohydrate. Um, I think from a, like, from a health perspective, there's a little bit of validity. And when you look at the like CrossFit's philosophy on nutrition, because they still – in level one, they still talk paleo. They still talk Zone diet. Um, it's kind of the low-hanging fruit, right? When you're like – when you say, okay, I want – here's a general population human being – they're completely deconditioned. They eat a standard American Western diet that probably is full of like fast food and junk. If I get that person to eat paleo, I don't even care if they do CrossFit. They can do CrossFit or they cannot do CrossFit. But if I can get them to do to eat paleo, they're going to lose weight, probably. And again, it's because you're eliminating a lot of the crap and the super high calorie foods um, and a lot of the inflammation that comes with that. So I think like if CrossFit has to like they need to, to position themselves somewhere on nutrition because it's not the workout. It's it's what you're doing for nutrition. And it allows them to make the biggest impact across most people, um, you know, by saying eat this way. So um, there's a little bit of validity to paleo. I think we're kind of moving away from that as a community, like the CrossFit community um, outside of level one seminars because people are seeing kind of seeing the light and they're seeing like, oh, I can have some balance, I can have carbohydrates and actually get to my goals faster because I'm fuel I'm able to fuel my training a little bit more um or or better because carb like crossfit at least um like from a performance standpoint you have to have carbohydrates and so I think people are starting to recognize that
0: um and it's funny that you yeah the zone they still talk about it every level 1 seminar yeah. I literally don't know anyone who has done the zone diet in yeah. years <laughs> and I find it so funny that they they still talk about it And yes, it's still macros in a roundabout way, Mm -hmm. but why do you feel that they still
1: focus on that part? Um, I think it's, that's a great question. Zone is, because when you look at what Zone is actually telling you to do, it's saying that there is a positive hormonal response to eating a specific ratio of protein, carbohydrates, and fat together at every single meal. And that's been debunked over and over and over again. There's, like, zero science that stands behind that claim, and yet somehow it still gets talked about. Um, You know, things I like about zone, you're eating protein at every single meal. Things I don't like about zone, like, it's kind of complicated. People don't know what a block is. They're like, well, what if I'm in between a two-block person and a three-block person? Like, what do I do then? Like,
0: if I had to rewrite my level one test, I would have to go back and study the zone part probably only because – I don't know the blocks of yeah. anything.
1: Yeah. I think it's like, it's a way to keep, okay, you can eat paleo, but we also want to make sure that you're hitting, we, we do want you to eat some carbs and definitely a lot of protein and some fats and some vegetables. And like, it's a way to make you kind of pay a little bit of attention to that. Um, but yeah, the CrossFit's like the only people that really even talk about the zone anymore. The zone is, is gone.
0: Yeah. I, that's why I find it so funny that it, they still make it a relevant yeah. topic in And anybody now I think who goes and takes it is like, I've never even heard of this diet before. Yes. Yeah. (laughs) Um, Okay. So do you feel that you're too close to the source if you need to change your own recommendations for yourself? Do you seek outside expertise or do you feel that you can take a step back and spot when you need to change anything that needs to be tweaked in your own diet?
1: Um, I'm, I'm really good at doing that for myself. Um, like I kind of know when my carbs need to come up. I can tell in my, like when my training starts feeling crappy, like I just went from, from two sessions a day to, to one session a day for a little while, um, back to two sessions. And so I, my, my macros had to change a little bit there. Um, I worked with a coach for a really long time, a really good one. And so, um, like I, I saw what he did. Like we worked together, and like I've, I've just learned a lot about it. So I can kind of objectively look at myself, and, and like I don't have a, a, I don't have any trouble at all eating more carbs. When I think like I'm just not mental about food, really, mm-hmm. um, and never have been. Um, like Alex, when she needs to change her macros, I have to do it for her. Yeah, yeah. She's not very good at it, and so she usually she'll complain about things. And then I'm like, well, how much, like, how much are you eating these days? And like, what are your, and so she'll show me your range. I'm like, okay, well, like you are spending this much more time in the gym, like your intensity is coming up. Like maybe it would be a good idea to increase some carbohydrates. And then we argue about it for like <laughs> 10 or 15 minutes and she like will end up increasing or decreasing or whatever. Yeah. Um, so like, I don't, I definitely don't have a problem with that for myself, but I know like a lot of nutrition coaches and athletes who are nutrition coaches still work with a coach because mm-hmm. like i even a coach needs a coach. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I would do that for nutrition. I would never do that for my programming. Yeah. So, um, you know, it kind of depends, but,
0: um, you had a post a while back about how you had changed because you weren't tracking at one point mm-hmm. and you kind of had guesstimated what you were, what your intake was at that point and how, mm-hmm. and what your training, how many hours of training you were doing in a day. Yeah. And then what you were eating at the current time and you had decreased your training and how your body composition had changed between the two. Um, and just to explain to people, because I think a lot of people get that more is more attitude with like fitness wise. And then they take the like less is less approach with nutrition. And I guess kind of explain what happened with the change in your body. Mm -hmm. Um, when you increased your intake and decreased your
1: exercise. Um, so I was, probably like I was training a lot in 2017. Um, that was when I was still in North Carolina. Um, like I was probably in like, as far as like games shape goes, probably in the best shape of my life back then. Um, training a ton, like doing three sessions a day. I was working at a gym. So I was like, I lived at a gym. Um, I wasn't working with Mike Fitzgerald at the time. So like I was just doing Kind of like whatever would get programmed for me, and then if I saw a cool workout on in Instagram, I would do that, and I was just like hammering it. Um, and I was paying attention to what I was eating, but at that time I wasn't tracking macros. And so what I thought I was eating wasn't really what I was eating. I was eating a little bit higher fat diet, definitely a little bit lower in carbohydrates. Um, and I didn't, I didn't feel terrible all the time, but I was definitely inflamed. Um, I had some, some injuries uh, that year that were pretty bad. And like, you never know, it's like a chicken and the egg type thing. Like if I had been eating correctly, would I not have gotten injured? Like, you know, maybe it wouldn't have been as bad. I don't know. Um, so then when I started with Mike, like my, my volume came kind of way down and that was in part due to like the injury that I had. Um, but my, my volume came way down. My training became a little more pointed at where, like where I needed to develop and just kind of like, you know, Maintaining my fitness level, bringing some things up to par, um, but probably training maybe 70% of what I was and eating like a significantly higher amount of carbohydrates. And like the effect that that had just with like inflammation reduction and like what it did to my like muscle volume was crazy. So like my inflammation went way down. So my joints felt better, felt better. Like I became like visibly a lot leaner um, and a lot bigger. So, like, muscle, when you have carbs, like, you, they pull water into your um, muscles and they create a lot of fullness. So, like, my weight didn't change a lot, but I just, like, became visibly very different and started to look a little bit more like the athlete that I was. So, like, that was pretty cool.
0: And were you noticing any changes in your training then? I know it was hard to say because you were, you know, coming off of an injury or whatever. Yeah. But-
1: um, so the, the training itself was so different that I noticed, like, uh, bef- before um, – like in 2017, I was kind of, I was doing, Mike used to say that I was doing, te- I would just test every day, always testers. Um, and I think a lot of people train that way when you're training CrossFit. It's just like constant CrossFit. Like you're just, um, you're doing that. You're not eating enough. You're kind of burning the candle at both ends. And so I stopped doing testers. I started doing training. And like my volume of, of like cardio probably went up. My volume of lifting went down. Um, I would only do like testers maybe like once a week. But I saw like my ability to, to like to withstand intensity and to work at a super high intensity went way up. Um, even if my like my baseline strength went down a little bit, like my my comfort level actually in my ability went down a little bit because I wasn't testing it all the time. But it went, when it was time to test it, it was there like it was it was like being given the keys to a Ferrari or right before you were driving like a Lexus.
0: And I think too, it's important for people to understand like still the amount of volume that you are doing during those 70% less training sessions right. is different than someone who goes to a CrossFit class um, and maybe does some extra lifting on the sides, you, yes. know, you know, even five days a week, yeah. because some people are going to listen and be like, I'm definitely not eating enough, then that's for sure. <laughs> Whereas it's that same balance thing. It's- yeah you could need less, you could need more type Mm -hmm. of a thing. Yeah. So you have a client that comes to you. This is a hypothetical. They're eating much too less. Mm -hmm. Do you start them on a slow reverse diet or do you make them do a significant increase right off the bat and then go up from there?
1: Um, it kind of depends on the client and what their comfort level is. Um, usually I'll reverse diet them for a period of, kind of, a period of time, kind of like stepwise changes over, um, you know, the course of a month or two. Like I'll have in my head where I want them to be. And I'm like, okay, if I give this person this much food, they're going to wig out and they're going to leave. And then they're going to just continue not eating enough. Um, I have some people that are like, yeah, let's go for it. And they, they're willing to make the jump kind of immediately. So it depends on like how, like where do I feel the client falls. But... Um, you know, if I can't get a feeling on that, I usually are on the side of caution and I'm like, okay, we're just going to kind of step this up. Sometimes I tell them that's what we're doing. Sometimes I don't tell them that's what we're doing. Um, but I like this stepwise approach because it's like mentally very approachable. Um, if I get someone's, like, if I know someone needs to increase their caloric intake by like 500 to a thousand calories a day, I'm like, okay, I'm going to start them at maybe 180 calories a day. Yeah. Um, and see how they do there. And, and see if they're feeling better. Okay. Are you sleeping better? I'm asking a lot of pointed questions about like, um, like training quality and like mood and just things that kind of, um, you know, continue to, to, to reinforce to them that they're making positive changes. And then it's like, okay, well, if if you feel this much better with, you know, this increase, like what if we increase a little bit more, Um, especially if they're not seeing any like decrease or negative change in body composition Um, So you can kind of plant the seed with the types of questions that you're asking and then just continue to move forward slowly with people.
0: Have you seen a lot of specifically, obviously women that come to you with, you know, hormone imbalances due to the fact that their intake was so low?
1: Yeah. Um, I mean, we sometimes get, you know, females that haven't had a period in, you know, a year and a half, two years, which is kind of the, that's the number one red flag. Um, you know, you get people where like, maybe they haven't had hormonal testing, but they're just, they're telling me about themselves and I'm like, I'm either, you know, I'm sort of suspecting that's, that's the case.
0: What, uh, what triggers I guess would Um, tell
1: you that probably like, um, like not feeling well in training, like being in a bad mood, like not feeling motivated, um, being tired all the time. Uh, having trouble going to sleep, staying asleep, um, those are usually indications that there's a little bit of a maybe a, like a cortisol problem going on.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: And so um, yeah, that's a good that's an easy well, that's, it's not an easy fix. It's actually a really hard fix. Um, but there are there there are things that are fairly easy to change that will get somebody like that on the path to health. It just takes time
0: yeah mm-hmm. and I think that's where a lot of people don't want to wait. Yeah. And they want to see those immediate results and things like that. Yeah. How often do you see a client, um, like stay long, like into for the long term?
1: Um, I'd say the average, like our average client is around six months. I have, I have clients that I've had for over two years. Um, so it's, it's always nice when you get someone that really commits to the process. Like my first client ever is down like over a hundred pounds. Um, incredible doing great like health markers are up she's off medication that kind of thing Mm -hmm. um and that wasn't all done with me that was like partially done with me and then partially done before me but it's just cool to see like that type of commitment and you know that type of person is a just they're like into what you're doing and they're they're part of it which is cool to see um what's it's kind of frustrating when you get someone who you like you can you're looking at them and you're like hey this is a this is a six-month project um and when you can't when you can't get that person to buy in for six months when they want it in a month or they want it in two months and then they don't see the results. And even after explaining like, hey, this is kind of how this is going to go and it's how it needs to go. They just get frustrated after a couple of months and, and leave. So that's like, that's just frustrating as a coach because I like, I know how I know how it works and I know if like, okay, just give me the time and we'll get you there. But like people just want it They're You're conditioned to want things in 30 days. Like that's what people want.
0: Yes. Yeah. And at least to be, seeing that something yeah it's like that's something hanging above them that that'll keep them going for another month to trust you a little bit longer and see if you can guide them down the right path but yeah everybody (laughs) wants and then that the first thing that they want to do is just cut calories right yeah it's like it always seems to be it's that thousand calorie diet that and i feel like people are maybe a little bit better about it now Mm -hmm. than they were like people of my generation, you know, those anybody in their mid thirties back in when they were in their early twenties were like, well, I have to eat a thousand calories to lose weight. And yeah. that is the way that I'm going to do this. I feel like people are a little bit better about that now.
1: Yeah. I like to think so. Um, you, although we still get people who maybe come from other coaching companies and they're like, Oh, well I was with, um, you know, I was with this coaching company and they cut my calories, but it stopped working. I've plateaued. So I left and like, you know, I just want, we want to hire you guys to like, to help me like lose the last 10 pounds. And I'm like, then you have to look at that person and be like, okay, so dieting's free. Cutting calories is free. And if that was working, you wouldn't have hired me. Mm-hmm. And so like, I'm going to tell you that cutting calories isn't going to work anymore. And I'm going to explain to you why. And then it's like made like 50, 50, 50 on whether they hang around or not. That's like kind of in the, um, you know, their inquiring phase. Uh, but I'm not going to blow smoke up someone's ass and tell them I can, um, make a miracle happen when I, I know that like they want to cut calories. I'm not going to cut their calories. So they're just going to leave anyways. Like I'm not going to waste my time with that. Yeah. Their time.
0: Well, and not every nutrition coach is right for every person and not every person is right for every nutrition coach. And I feel like you get to a point in your business where you're like, this relationship isn't going to work. Like I'm going to stop it before it even starts kind of a thing, because you want to see good results out of your clients as well. And they need to be able to trust you. And if they're not, you get to that point where you're okay to say that it's, yeah. we're not going to be a fit together. Exactly. Yeah. Okay. So for people who follow your athletic, uh, career and everything like that, what does a typical
1: day in the life look like for you now? Um, so a typical day for me and for Alex, we have, we're on the same schedule. So I'll speak for both of us. um, Like if it's a training day, um, I'll use Wednesday for an example because we work and train on Wednesdays. So we usually get up um, around 6 to 6.30, do some work in the morning, check-ins, administrative stuff, Um, try to get our first workout going by like 9.30 or 10. Um, You know, that one, our our workouts themselves are structured a little bit differently. So what I'm doing in training, she might be doing something a little bit different. But like that first session usually takes around like two hours to get through, Um, two and a half if it's a long day. And then it's lunch. Uh, we'll do some more work over lunch, maybe run some errands. And are you guys coming into the gym for that session or is it that you can do a at gym. That, that session is- a gym session. Yeah. Um, so then we go home and do, uh, do work and lunch. And then, um, for the second session there, it depends on kind of what block we're, we're on with Michael. Um, but that might, that might be a second gym session or it might be a home session. We're usually doing that around like two 30 or so. Um, if it's a gym, it's usually happening around, yeah, like two or two, th- two 30. So we can be done by four. They're classes that start at four. So again, another two hours. Um, if it's a home workout, then it's usually around an hour of just, uh, monostructural like erg stuff that we have in our apartment. Mm-hmm. Um, and then it's, uh, meal prep dinner. Uh, we really like, like out, vaginal- watching TV at night. So we kind of make that, we make time for that mm-hmm. and they're usually in bed by, uh, around nine.
0: Yeah. So it's a lot of dedication to everything that you're doing in your life, right? Yeah. Yes. And stuff on the fun side of things, where does that fit
1: in? What we do for fun.
0: Yeah. Like when do you fit it in?
1: Um, we love, I really like, so I, I'm new to Calgary and I'm new to, um, the mountains. So I like, I really, really like going to the mountains. I like going to Canmore a lot. So we try to do that a couple of times of like a month. We'll Mm -hmm. either stay the night in a hotel, or go for the day to Canonascus. Um, there's a super nice Nordic spa there. Yeah, um, I just like looking at the mountains. Like it's it's super novel living here, and so I like spending time doing that. And we leave, you know, put our phones away, leave phones in the car or whatever, and just kind of disconnect. Um, so yeah, that's kind of our that's how we get away and have a little bit of fun away from the city. Um, and are you into hiking? Is that
0: Or just just hanging out in the mountains?
1: Yeah, I I like hiking. The issue with hiking right now for me and for us is that it's kind of an extra training session, to be honest. And so it's like there's a little bit of a cost to hiking. Like it's going to take away um, from training a little bit. But um, we did like – back in August I did um, around like 25 kilometers of hiking in a couple of days, which was super fun. Like definitely glad that I did that. Um, But, man, my feet were wrecked for like (laughs) – a week, (laughs) I had to take all the double unders out of my programming and, like, just replace them with burpees or something. Yeah, it's
0: like and it's, like, all – it's so calf, like, (laughs) intensive. And you're, like, well, that was not as easy as I thought it was going to be. Yeah,
1: you think you're super fit, and then you're, like, you're climbing. And I don't know, like, I've made the observation before, like, I walk kind of slow when I'm, like, walking downtown or something. Like, I'll be getting passed by people who are, like, not in shape. And I'm, like, man, like – I must like walk really slow. And then hiking is the same thing. Like I'm hiking and it's not like I'm particularly out of breath or anything like that. Like I don't feel unfit, but these people just are blowing past me, like up and down the mountain. And then I realize like, it's like some people hike and they, they do, um, you know, hauling or they, they do that stuff for time. And like, that's their workout. So I'm like, okay, well, you know, this is what they do. If I got them into a, like a CrossFit gym, it would obviously be a totally different story. So have to remind myself of that sometimes. Like I'm actually not good at everything, even though I think I'm good at everything. I'm not.
0: What was your athletic background before CrossFit?
1: Um, mostly swimming. Oh, yeah. I grew up swimming, um, for many, many years and then, uh, played some like travel soccer, uh, ran track, but, uh, I was the best at swimming for sure.
0: So what are the, what's the future goal? Is it, like still making a run for the games is it shifting to you know making your business the most successful business it Mm -hmm. ever was because I mean as you know having the best of all the worlds isn't (laughs) as obtainable as we might think it is yeah but yeah do you have the the time and the capacity to put the best effort into both Mm -hmm. of them though
1: uh no (laughs) So I'll do, um, I'll do some competing this year, but not with the explicit goal of, like, going back to the Games. Um, I'm not, like, with the changes this year, the changes last year, um, it sort of became apparent that you can kind of, like, buy your ticket to the Games if you want to, like, go to some obscure location and do some random-ass competition, mm-hmm. um, which is fine. Like, if that's your thing, like, go for it. There's nothing wrong with that. Um, I'm just not going to do it. Like, I don't have big-name sponsors that are just going to, like, fly me around to different countries, and I don't really want to do that anyways. Um, So I'm going to compete this year. I'm going to do the Open, um, manage my expectations with that, uh, do some sanctioned events that, like, I know are good events and well-run and, like, aren't going to cost an arm and a leg to go to. Um, And Alex has the same approach. And if, like, if we go to the games, that would be um, awesome, but you kind of have to go into it now knowing, like, with the way that the cuts are going to happen. You know, if you're – if you're not going to be happy, unless you make the final 10, uh, you shouldn't do it. And so that was like, we were on demo team this year and I got like a really, like, I knew that those cuts were coming. I knew the schedule ahead of time. Um, Oh, you did, you knew it before. Yeah.
0: It was happening. Yes. Were you like, this is aggressive.
1: Um, yeah. And I think like, go, I don't know if like the events had necessarily been finalized, like, but we knew, Okay, it was going to be the top 10 by this day. And I was like, holy crap, like that's that people are going to be not so happy with that. Um, But it was like it's kind of cool watching it happen. And like I didn't know how I was going to feel. And part of the reason why we sat out last season was like the the rules were not clear. Um, I didn't know like what like I don't like playing games and I don't know what game I'm playing. And so that was a big reason why we decided to sit out. And then like demo team was awesome because we got a like literal front row seat to the games and like got to watch the decision making behind it and how it all unfolded. And it actually like it made me want to do it more like the fact that there are cuts and like, you know, the games aren't what they were. The top 40 don't go all the way through. I'm like, that's like that's actually how it needs to be. Um, The schedule maybe could use some refinement, but like I like that it's top 10 at the end. Um, I like that they sort of get rid of the fluff. Um, like obviously like making it to the games is a a major accomplishment and you have to be happy with, with being there and you have to be okay with the possibility that you're not going to make it past day one, which like there are some big names who didn't make it past day one. Um, so yeah, I think that's, uh, we're okay with that. And we're going to do some sanctioned events and like try to compete and you know if we don't make the games maybe we get to go on demo again which was an awesome experience and would you do some team
0: sanctioned events
1: <laughs> yes so we're gonna do the only team one we have planned right now is wadapalooza so we'll do that with the same team that we competed with granite games last year so we actually i wouldn't say we sat the whole season out we did compete at granite games um but on a team and that was the only one that we did and we then- did like fairly well for a team that had not competed together And then you'll do some individual sanction. Yeah, most of our season will be individual because we're not like we're not very good on a team. We're number one. We're like the same athlete. Yeah, Um, we're small, like we're not power athletes. And you kind of need to be a power athlete to be uh, especially as a female to be successful on a team at uh, it seems like at the sanctionals level. Once you're at the games, it rewards fitness a little bit more. But again, like you have to get to the games to play the game. So I don't know, like, you know, we can be the two fittest people on the field of the teams, but, um, you don't necessarily get rewarded for that in the way the team play works right now. Okay. That's awesome.
0: Well, I think that's a great place to end it. And I want to just thank you so much for taking the time to sit down
1: with me today. Yeah, absolutely. This is great.
0: Head over to my Instagram page at sweat underscore effect for all of my insights, experiences, and daily dose of goodness until next time, keep on having fun and keeping fit.